0: Ah, welcome to The Staggering Truth, and I'm your host, Burton Staggs, and today we're going to talk about the 2011 disappearance and subsequent murder of West Tennessee mother, Karen Swift. In this week's episode of The Staggering Truth, I want to take us back to 2011. Uh, earlier that year, in April, Holly Bobo had disappeared in Darden. Um, then, about Halloween, another blonde disappears by the name of Karen Swift. At the time, a some thought there could be a connection to the two. Um, a private investigator out of Florida started to draw comparisons possibly to the Bobo abduction and at the time the Karen Swift abduction. Now, looking back now almost nine years, we know that uh, the Holly Bobo case has been solved. Uh, there was... Uh, no connection to the disappearance of Karen Swift. Now, what we know about the Karen Swift case, a few facts, is that uh, Karen Swift was 44 years old. She was born in Illinois. She was married to a fellow by the name of David Swift. They had four children. Uh... A couple weeks prior, Karen Swift had filed for divorce. Right around Halloween, Karen Swift goes to a masquerade party at a place called the Farms, which is basically a country club. Um, witness reports place her leaving the Farms at about eleven thirty. Excuse me, one thirty to one forty-five. Uh, to go get her daughter. She arrives home at her residence with David Swift that night, and the next morning and that day, she disappears. Swift calls the Dyer County Sheriff's Office. Her vehicle is located, uh, I'm going to say a half a mile away. It's pulled over on the side of a road. Um, to set the scene, you leave her house. You go up to a highway. She made a right onto the highway. The, le- the car was found on the left side of the highway, and that side is a... It'd be a good pull-off to meet somebody if you were choosing to meet somebody, or it would just be a place... She had a flat tire. It would be a place to just pull over. So we'll get back to that later. But the Dyer County Sheriff's Office becomes involved. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation becomes involved. The Highway Patrol, uh, Shelby County Sheriff's Office, they all search for her. Nothing is found. Um, The case blows up. Becomes one that gets national attention. Uh, it makes it to Nancy Grace. There is a uh, a lot of uh, media attention in this case. There was no progress made in finding Karen Swift for about forty days, and then, a cemetery caretaker at bledsoe cemetery um it could be described as an older cemetery with tombstones probably around 100 years old Um, see something in a thicket walks over and makes a gruesome discovery he finds a body Um, the body is uh under um, kudzu if you're not familiar that's that thick greeny vegetation you see growing along uh, a lot of our highways in Tennessee. It's it's a it's a vine. It, it it's very hardy. Um, but the body is located inside that thicket. Um, I drove up there about a year ago, and. Uh, To get to Bledsoe Cemetery, you leave the Swift residence. I'm thinking it's about three miles. Um, it's off the beaten path. Um, I think that you would have to know of this cemetery to have gone there. Um, setting the scene, the cemetery lays to the right. If you're pulling into it, um... Her body was discovered in a thicket by a small hill on the left. Oddly, there's actually, or ironically, there's a large cross that's there, um, and I believe I was told that it's in memory of some tornado victims. But the large cross, then you come down, there's a hill, there's a, a thicket of kudzu, Her body was found there, and the cemetery was across the little dirt road. Um, My first thought, um, and I'm going to give you some thought in this uh, podcast, and I'm going to give you mostly fact. Um, Most people know that this has been a a highly uh, covered case. Um, There's lots of theories out there. I'm going to touch on the theories, I'm going to give you a little of my own, but I'm mostly going to just present you the facts and, and let you determine where you want that to go. Um, when I first arrived at Bledsoe Cemetery, I was with uh, Dennis Ferrier from Fox 17 and uh, Heather Michelle Cohen from HMC Investigators. And uh, I remember looking at uh, Dennis and saying, you know, this kind of looks like a lover's lane. Uh, For you that are old enough to think about when people used to go parking, it kind of reminded me of a place like that. Off the beaten path, cars don't pass that often, you kind of pull off the road to go down to the cemetery. Either way, no matter what or how she got there, somebody knew what they were doing when they took her body there and hid her there and put her in that kudzu. Um, October kudzu is not dead. It's still fairly hardy till it gets really cold. So they put her in that kudzu. But by the time December had rolled around, it beco- the greeny is gone, and it's mostly just the the, uh, the dark brown vine. Now that we've uh, covered the early parts and the uh, body being found, I want to tell you a few things about this case and how I became involved. Um. I envisioned this uh, podcast uh, a couple of years ago, and different things took me away, and I didn't have time to do it. So I thought I would do local cases of interest, cold cases, and uh, I chose about eight or ten cases to start with, and I spoke with a couple district attorneys. And I got with the medical examiner's office and got autopsies. Um, This is where, if you want to say some irony takes place in these cases, um, this is how it happens sometimes in investigations. Sometimes it's just dumb luck. I had taken my mother to dinner at a local pizza place, and I told her what I was going to do. And she said, did they ever solve that case of the missing mom that disappeared and they found her in the cemetery? And I'll be honest, I didn't even remember the name. So, I had to uh, Google it. Found out the name was Karen Swift. And uh, I added her to my list of 10, 12... uh, autopsies that I want to look at to see the case or to start building this podcast. As luck and life goes on, I didn't get to do parts of the podcast as I wanted to. And so I started working on the cases, but I wanted to work on the cases that I knew the people the best. And Dyersburg is quite a few miles from my home, so I didn't... uh, Two things. I didn't know that area. I didn't know the sheriff. I didn't know the district attorney. So I knew that I'd be the outsider. So I put that case near the end. I didn't think much about it. Um, one day I'm sitting and I'm looking and I, I see it laying on my desk and I Google and I think, hmm. And uh, back during the coverage of Holly Bobo, I met a lot of uh, Memphis area journalists. And uh, so I Googled again and I found a friend of mine who had been covering the Swift case in depth. So I start reading her reports and looking at her reports and thinking, "Hmm, well, you know, I'll call her. And then I get to going through it and I realize... There, there's no cause of death ever mentioned in any of these reports. And I thought, no, that's really weird. So I call her and I say, hey, um, think about doing some work on the Karen Swift case. And, and I say, you covered it. She said, and she said, yeah. And I see the anniversary's coming up. I said, let's do something together on it. She said, cool. I said, uh, why have you never mentioned the cause of death? And she says, well, it's sealed. And I said, what do you mean it's sealed? And she said, "Uh, the, the judge sealed the case." And I said, "Well, I've got the autopsy." And of course, she's like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah." And and so she calls the sheriff's office. I call. I wait on her, and she says they they call back and said it's sealed. I said it's not sealed. I've got well, I've got it and now. This is where I should say I would have never released any information on this case if I had thought it was sealed so I did what I thought I should do I called the medical examiner and they said uh, no it is not sealed I then called my friend and she said okay so we got to talking about it I still was concerned so I called the medical examiner back and she said no it's not sealed we didn't get any paperwork we don't have any paperwork and I said okay So I go back and forth. I then speak with uh, the circuit court clerk in uh, Dyer County. He says, I don't remember that being sealed. He says, I remember the judge talking about it, maybe. And I said, could you pull the file? And he says, "Uh, there is no file. I said, what? He says, no, there's no file. I said, so you're telling me there's not a seal? And and he said, it's not in my office. I said, okay. So, myself, Tish, and I, we we teamed up on a report near the anniversary of Karen Swift, and we released the cause of death for the first time ever. So, (laughs) I sometimes have to credit my mother for this case getting opened back up to the public the way it was. Now... I need to say something right here that's very important that I didn't know until a few months ago. And it's one of those times, sometimes you feel like you need to make an apology. Um, I spoke with the investigator in this case, I believe his name's Jeff Cook, uh, a few months ago. And I found out that when I released her cause of death, that Karen Swift's family hadn't been told how she died and uh, I, I regret that now. I, I truly do. Um, I, I would have never have done that if I had not known that her mother and others were not familiar with her cause of death. And, and for that, I, I greatly apologize. But I want to do this podcast to uh, look at some of the facts of the case um, There's a lot of rumor. There's a lot of speculation. um, But I want to set the record straight as far as I'm concerned and what I know to be true about this case. And others are are free to, to follow where their investigations go. But I'm going to set the record straight as far as the facts and the things that I have in hand. And in the next segment... And I want you guys to go ahead and understand that in the very next segment, there is going to be some extremely graphic um, descriptions of this case. And if you have a weak stomach or you don't like those sort of things, I would skip the next segment. Let me go ahead and remind you once again that what you're going to hear for the next few minutes is extremely graphic and it could be extremely disturbing to some I typically don't go into this much detail but I feel like because of some things that were said over the last few days that the facts of the autopsy and the complete autopsy need to be talked about Um, once again The things you're about to hear are are very disturbing. So you can click on a button and skip this section if you would like. So just with that, you've been warned. Um, According to the medical examiner, Karen Swift's body was discovered on 1210, which is about approximately 41 days after she disappeared from her or was last seen at her home. Uh, In Dyersburg, she was found about three miles away uh, in an overgrowth of kudzu uh, adjacent to a cemetery. Now, the medical examiner notes in his report that uh, when the body arrived at the morgue, it was in a body bag um, that there was dirt and kudzu leaf and vine present with the body. Um, It was x rayed. Um, Inside that, there was some hair and uh, some things like that. Now, the body was nude except for a pair of black panties. The right leg was extended, the left leg was bent to where the left foot rested on the right upper thigh. That would best be described as almost looking like a figure four. The panties were down to the upper thigh. There are no other clothing present. The M.E. notes that there are Light-colored fiber in each hand. Now, the M.E. notes in his report that much of the body is skeletonized, has uh, been the victim of animal activity. Um, Much of her face is missing. Much of her back, the back of her neck... He notes that the thyroid and hyoid are unidentifiable, which means basically the throat was missing. Um, He notes that the pelvic area is missing, and large portions of the um, legs and uh, thighs are skeletonized. This body was in advanced decomposition uh, with maggots present still. Um, This body was not in good shape when it got to the uh, morgue in Memphis. Uh, I hate talking about this stuff. And I do mean I hate talking about this part of this. And this is why I really think if you... If you don't want to listen to this stuff, I'm going to warn you. It's about to get even worse. Um, we're going to talk about her fatal injuries shortly, but we're going to talk about what's not there right now. Um, a report the other day came out that talked about her female organs missing. Um. And it was insinuated that maybe they were removed. Well, I spoke with a district attorney who put me in touch basically with the real life bones of Tennessee. And we talked about this autopsy, but we talked about autopsies or in general, or how bodies are found. And once again, I've warned you again here, this is about to get very graphic. But apparently when a body lays in the woods or in the opening open, flies, they like to find places to lay their eggs. They will lay them in the nostrils. they will if the eyes are open, they'll lay them in the eyes, the ears, anus, the vagina, or around the penis. It's a male. And when that happens, when the eggs hatch, you have the larva, you have the maggots. Okay. When that happens, they begin to feast on the flesh. The word was, and this is bad, but the word was... The body becomes juicy. At that time. The animals become involved. And they eat. And they tend to like to start. Apparently. In the uh, area. Of the genitalia. Male and female. Um, They start in that area a lot. Um, The. The ME insinuated that because of the larger openings, that those areas are more accessible. And I know that is disgusting. And, you know, for those of you that have watched the show Bones, well, you know how Bones and the squints just talk. Well, that's kind of how the way this medical examiner was. And we talked about the figure, the formation of the body, how the body was found. And she said, uh, well, you ever watch TV and the the tiger grabs the leg of the zebra? Or, I said, yeah. And she said, well, or I'll just give you another example. She said, you know, when you're at Thanksgiving dinner and you're, the turkey's laying there and see, and somebody reaches over and grabs the drumstick and pulls so they can eat that part? I was like, yeah, well, she said, that's what's pretty much happens. And I was like, okay, guys, um, probably this Thanksgiving, we're going to make ham, you know, but, um, all this to say that the medical examiner said that these missing organs were not uncommon, um, um, if you guys listen to the other podcast forensic examiner, Mark Gillespie appeared on and he talked about this. I spoke with him yesterday. I sent him an email. We talked about the flies, the larva, the insect activity, um, and things like that with a body that had been out in the open for 40 plus days. Um, He emailed me back this morning, and he said, I would have to agree. In the next segment, we're going to talk about the fatal injuries. Continuing on with the uh, forensics of this case, uh, Karen Swift suffered an oblong depression, an oblong fracture, depressed fracture, that was, in the report, is eight centimeters by four centimeters, but that's about three inches by one inch. Now, the M.E. notes in his report that um, bone fragments are inside the skull, the cranium. That indicates a very, very hard impact. There are Also, fractures to ribs, which could indicate a fight. Um, Oddly, none of the fingers appear to be broken. I do not recall reading anything like that. It almost sounds like a blitz attack. Um, She was struck hard in the head. Um, With what? Who knows? But the the uh, wound is three inches by one inch. Um, she had some a little bit of food content in her stomach. She had been to a party. The um, the toxicology doesn't really say much. A little bit of ethanol, which can be alcohol. Something that a lot of people don't know is when you look at an, an autopsy, is that uh, as our body breaks down the uh, things in our blood kind of turn to ethanol. So if you're not autopsied really quick, your, um, your blood will show ethanol. Um, her liver tests are, do, do not seem to be extremely high for um, drinking. So she did go to that party, but either it wore off or she uh, didn't drink very much that night. When she had went to that party. Uh, something else I found uh, intriguing. Is that the uh, Dyer County Sheriff's Office. Is in possession of fingernail clippings. And uh, what is ever under her skin. Or what it was under her nails. So they have the scraping and that. But. What we take from the autopsy. is She was nude. She was left out for about 40 days. Could it have been the murder scene? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, could it have been just been a dump scene? Possibly. The autopsy doesn't say anything about finding blood near the body. That head wound would have probably bled. But, It went through, uh, there's a lot of time that it went through. But the autopsy does not say anything about finding that. So it'd be purely speculative to say if that was the murder scene or not. But one thing we do know from the autopsy is she was nude except for the panties when she was located. Now, you know, where did her clothes go? Uh, Now, animals can... That but this body, what although it was advanced decomp and was severely skeletal in places, it doesn't seem like that um, it would have been the animals would have just taken all the clothes. And there is a report out there that says some clothes were located, I don't believe that's ever been confirmed, but I do believe it has said that in the past. Um, That pretty much wraps up the rough section of what we're going to talk about. Now we're going to go a little bit into the investigation, into the theory, and some other aspects of this case. Welcome back to The Staggering Truth. And this is where we're going to talk about this case as to where it's taken some unusual turns and also things that happen in cold cases. This case happened in 2011. That was kind of well before Facebook, well, excuse me, Facebook mobile. Facebook existed, but uh, cell phones were, smartphones were just being able to be developed. Um, Facebook mobile would not come along for another couple of years. Uh, And those things have changed the world. We look at investigations now as instant. You know, they run and they ping the cell phones and they do these things. Well, in 2011, that was not as widely done. They can ping the phones, but we weren't in the 4G era, the 3G era. Um, I go back to the Bobo case because it's a case I know well. um, When they were trying to track Holly's phone and the uh, suspect's. That was one of the problems they ran into. The technology of those days just doesn't exist. And that gets us into a little bit more into this case. Now let's go back to the to the night she disappears. Karen Swift had been to a party at the farms. There's speculation as what happened there. Uh, a private investigator out of Georgia, Florida, has written a lot about this case. Matter of fact, he (laughs) took me on in this case pretty heatedly over a couple things. But uh, I found out some things, some assertions that he made in early writings. I'm not going to call it... Well, I'm just going to say this. I don't believe they were factual. Many things. In In his reports back in 2012, things like that, he talked about the Swift divorce as being somewhat amicable and and that uh she was uh spendthrifty and ran through a lot of money and might had boyfriends and and uh sugar daddies or, or been involved in these other activities and uh she had multiple cell phones and uh the the big thing was is in the whole part of the divorce was he would talk about the divorces that uh is that she wasn't going to get anything or that um, the house wasn't in her name or that uh, all these different things. And it basically hinted that, uh, that the husband, David Swift, would have no motive. Now, I will never accuse anybody of murder. But what that private detective said and did in those days seems to have become urban legend. A lot of those things were just not true. For example, he said that she had no interest in the home. That, for lack of a better word, is bull. Um, I pulled the divorce. I pulled the deed. Um, the way their deed is written, right of first survivorship, or survivorship, whichever party died first or, or survived got the house. Uh, there's talk that this divorce was amicable and that they were living together and nobody was angry over it or whatever. I can't say anybody was angry over it, but I can tell you this. She wanted the house. She wanted alimony. She wanted maximum amount of child support. She wanted the vehicle. She wanted... She wanted basically everything. Um, David Swift was set to get a big bonus. She wanted most of it. Um... So what I'm saying is, is that when you go back and you look at the early reports of this case and how this investigator out of Florida spun this, he talked terribly about Karen Swift. Terribly and basically said there was no motive for David Swift because he wasn't about to lose anything. Well, that's simply not true because she was asking for the house. She was asking for the car. She was asking for a large part of his big bonus. I believe it was $25,000. I'd have to go back and check that to be factual. Uh, She wanted the children. She wanted alimony and child support. Now, to talk about the different theories of this case. It goes without saying, in in most cases, that the men in a murdered woman's life is the prime suspect until they're cleared. Um, It's pretty clear that the... uh, Dyer County Sheriff's Office has a person of interest, but I wouldn't necessarily say a suspect, but then again, I did see a search warrant that um, the Dyer County Sheriff's Office took the flat tire from Karen Swift's Nissan Murano, sent it to a lab, I believe an FBI lab, and it said that uh, it appeared that the screw or whatever the object was that was in the tire was most likely placed there um, as opposed to being ran over. And that was the basis for a search warrant of the Swift home or the residence. Now, No one ever, I don't know what came of that search, so I don't know. Now, a lot of people have surmised that there are different suspects based on a dark world, a sex club, a um, swingers club, or different things, if you will. I don't know those to be factual. I don't know those to be lies. So I really can't address those. Um, I have been told by investigators and officials that some of that is a mischaracterization that was brought on by a private investigator years and years ago. Um, Some things that were said that became urban legend. I'm going to leave that part alone because... There's no evidence. I have no evidence of that. So, I believe I'm just going to say that investigators tell me that that is a gross exaggeration of the truth. And we're going to leave it at that. Now, an odd thing happened. Um, while Karen Swift's vehicle was in comp- in, in the... Uh, con- um, in the police lockup apparently gets broken into police um, send the vehicle back to its uh, the finance company some people question that I called a district attorney he told me if the TBI lab went over it really well gave pictures uh, and, and details that uh, he would not stand in the way of a, a creditor getting a vehicle for multiple years so that's uh, what I've been told about the vehicle being sent back. Um, now, this case has grown kind of cold at this point. We have the disappearance. We have the body found. We have the autopsy recovered multiple years later. Now we have a cause of death. We have the police looking at uh, the husband. We have... Uh, Some private investigators looking in other ways. Um, The police say they've never quit looking. The investigators continue to look. Uh, This is a very interesting case. Then this case takes a complete ridiculous turn like I have never seen. Um, A local attorney and his client basically decide to, uh, blackmail, for lack of a better word, one of the wealthier men in town. Um, the, I went to the hearing and just the short version is the client comes to the attorney and says, you know, I've got information. He contacts the, uh, restauranteur who is a, a is a very wealthy man by um things by all accounts <laughs> they set up a meeting but the TBI is watching and listening uh the attorney basically says that he's uh doing this deal you know to to have attorney client privilege the restaurateur and his family are saying they're trying to gain information. But when you hear the family testify, the restaurateur and his family, they're very not very interested in the swift information, information that may harm the family. They're more interested in what a private investigator is saying or doing. Uh, it's, it's almost of a, of a, a bad temper type feud thing. It's, uh, the, the thousands of dollars that, that they're asking for, um, seems like, for lack of a better word, chump change to, to these people. And as I listen to the hearing, I'm like, um, okay guys, if you're, First of all, if you're going to uh, blackmail or you, or extort an extremely wealthy man, why are you starting with just a few thousand instead of multiple thousands? Um, if, if you think you have information that implies that his family or he did this murder, um, sure should be worth more than just a few thousand dollars. Um, but... It was one of the most twisted things I've ever seen. A lawyer, a client, accused of extorting a very wealthy man, a restaurateur, a very well-known man in the county, saying they had information that was possibly damaging to his family. But none of the testimony really gave anything that was very damaging. It was basically the rumor and innuendo that you've heard for multiple years. Uh, The attorney and his uh, client have been indicted, and I do believe it was bound over to the grand jury. And uh, I haven't followed up on that case, but uh, with the way the uh, courts are closed now, things may be a while. But this is such a very unusual case. um Cold case murders are sometimes hard to solve. Uh, you have to have enough evidence to go forward. The latest development in this case is that after eight plus years. The investigative file has been turned over to the district attorney general. Um, the file is supposedly massive. It comes from Karen Swift's youth all the way to possibly up until present day. Um, Sheriff Jeff box says he and his department have never stopped working this case. Um, What will happen now is the district attorney will look at it and see if there is enough evidence to bring criminal charges. I want to thank you once again for listening to this podcast and I also apologize again for the uh, graphic nature of some of this uh, podcast. But I felt like that those things needed to be said based on um, some information that was released and said um, a few days ago now and I want to address this people are going to speculate on these cases private investigators have a job to do investigators have a job to do Um, sometimes people are just really really fierce in how they're investigating a case Um, we're all human we make mistakes we're all human we let our emotions get in the way sometimes but I do believe that anybody that's looking into this case doesn't have any motive that is not justice for Karen Swift. It's sometimes it's just how you arrive at that justice. And at the end of the day, what we as investigative journalists and private investigators and even the police need to remember is we're all working for the same goal, but we also need to remember that there's a family out there in mourning. They want justice. And that uh, they need that. But, but we also don't need to add to their pain. And I, once again, I want to thank you for listening to The Staggering Truth. I'm Burton Stags.